persistence, having the proper mindset by setting goals, being clear, articulate where your business wants to go, and learning and not being afraid of failure. If you're afraid of failure, you won't be persistent and you don't have the right mindset. So it's a bit of a magic triangle. So if you have those three things, I think it's the goals to success. Welcome to the Frontline to Boardroom podcast, where we share the wisdom, knowledge and experience of leaders who've served in the military and then taken those hard-won leadership lessons into the corporate world. Hi, I'm your host, Martin Brooker. Looking forward to sharing with you the stories of their lived experiences, warts and all, from leading men and women in harm's way, all the way to the corporate boardroom and beyond. Let's get started. Well, my guest today is Ben Seasink, served in the Royal Australian Navy and the Royal Australian Engineers, with operational experience in East Timor as a troop commander. He was also part of the first Australian Army training team in Iraq in 2004, where he mentored an Iraqi company commander just outside the town of Mosul. Leaving the Army, Ben identified that his hard-won experience on the battlefield in capability management would have great application in defence industry, particularly in civil engineering projects. Success as a project manager led him to further opportunities in business development and bid management for commercial projects before in stepping up to project management roles in major overseas projects in Papua New Guinea and the United Arab Emirates. With hard-won skills under his belt, Ben launched his own company, Barao, where he and his team helped companies with defence contracts, as well as designing shooting ranges for the Australian Defence Force and other security agencies. What I loved about our conversation is just the determination and growth mindset Ben had to develop in his career as a leader. Let's jump right in. Ben Seasink, welcome to the Frontline to Boardroom podcast. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, Martin. Great to be here. Awesome. Look, question I always ask my guests firstly is, how did you end up joining the service, or in your case, the Australian Army? Well, I was the eldest of six children, and my parents weren't flash on cash, we were all going through uh, Catholic education. I wanted to go to university. My parents really couldn't afford to put me through, so I applied for the the Ready Reserve Scheme as a sapper in 92. And then while I was serving my one-year full-time, I applied for the Australian Defence Force Academy and was successful. Yeah. So who were your leadership heroes, influences growing up early in your career, if not before the service, but early in the military? Well, I think probably the first one was when I was at Royal Military College. Look, General Cosgrove was generally our ref when we were playing rugby and his ability to recall names. And then I later served with him as the commander at Innofed and he still remembers names. It's just amazing that how his knowledge and ability to share his experiences when we're at young cadets at Duntroon about his lessons on leadership, especially when he was in Vietnam. It became very, very relevant considering our cohort was probably one of the first to be on active deployment for quite a while and we graduated in 97 to Innofed. Others were my COs, David Maguire, Rod West and Steve Day, who was our CO in 3CR over on Innofed being able to deploy a combat engineer regiment with resources all over the place. And he did give me a, 
quite a reasonable kick in the ass as a junior lieutenant, but basically gave me great praise on the good job I did mm. when I got redeployed back home. Yeah. So Kiel Sindafet was uh, the operation in East Timor um, for the United Nations. What was your role there? I was a troop commander, 18 troop. I had 30 young men, plant operators and combat engineers. Our major task was doing route maintenance, water purification and hardening of assets. Mm -hmm. So we did hardening of assets around Dili in early phases and then we were working through the region doing reconnaissance of the logistics change, which is, you know, obviously with Ukraine, you see the importance of that now, making sure that the routes were suitable for main supply routes for the logistic lines of supply. Mm. And the biggest and most challenging and one of the best jobs was my OC, Glenn Stockton, sent me out right up into the mountains to strip uh, three Bailey bridges just me and myself and a couple of senior NCOs and my troop of young men basically collecting parts with these Bailey Bridges, I should say, not MGBs, Bailey Bridges to basically build a larger bridge over the main MSR on the, on the, that the whole regiment built. Mm. So that was quite, as a basically a new graduate, to be pushed up into the mountains in a, you know, an active area of operations with very little, well, no support, it was just ourselves. And to do that as a young lieutenant was, you know, really one of the highlights yeah. of my career professionally. Yeah. And we learn a lot, don't we, from working with in those sort of scenarios where there's a bit of pressure as a, a young officer and also from those senior NGOs, they often sort of teach us the lessons of life, don't they? They, they definitely do. And there was an occasion on, on one of the bridges where, I wanted to take a shortcut and I came into a situation where I probably could have lost a sapper's life actually by taking a shortcut, but thankfully it didn't happen. We recovered the situation, hmm. did the job properly and got the job done. But you know, I put my hand up and I tell all of my friends and family about taking shortcuts and do it, do it right the first time. Uh, my father used to say it to me all the time. Do it right the first time and, again, as long as you don't do it the second time, hmm. do it, make the same mistake the second time, especially as an entrepreneur. I always make mistakes. I try not to make mistake, the same mistake twice, but I'm always learning. And as long as you can, and I teach a lot of my clients, it's all right to make mistakes, but just don't do it the second time in terms of your business success. Yeah. In that operational environment, though, there's quite a bit of pressure to get it right all the time. Can you... What do you sort of think back to in terms of those moments? Obviously, that one where you sort of potentially avoided sort of injuring somebody or maiming somebody or even worse. But what else did you learn about leadership from those sort of those moments? I think it's the key things is to have the ability, and even even when I was a manager or and as a more senior officer, when I was a, a divisional officer at ADFA, you have to let people make mistakes. And defence is, you know, is an environment where no, I, was, I don't think I was very often advised to learn from your mistakes. It was really a highly competitive environment where, you know, one lieutenant or one captain is always competing as, for the other mm. to get the new promotion, get the posting. But I think in hindsight and what I've really sort of grabbed on as, as I've matured in my years, especially when I was working in a big multinational organisation is, 
is working with young engineers and then basically telling them that even myself as I'm growing and moving through the corporate structure to higher levels is that always learn from your mistakes and make your mistakes, as many as mistakes as you can in your 20s, mm. I think, and try new things and always do a 360-degree self-assessment on your your strengths and weaknesses because it will help you in later life. Mm. Do you think that we're creating the right environment for people to be able to do that in this modern age? You know, we've just been through obviously COVID and, you know, flexible work and those kind of things are so much more important. We've talked a couple of years ago about sort of the great resignation where people are actually leaving workplaces because of the perhaps culture environment. What do you think we need to do to create that environment where A, we can make mistakes, but B, people want to stay? Well, that's a very good question. And I think that the environment and the economy and workplaces in terms of leadership is probably more challenging than any other time. Mm -hmm. Even when you talk to defence officers and leaders to retain people in defence is obviously a big issue even to attract people. Now, young kids these times, like my kids at the moment, got one daughter and doing university, she has, because we're more on an online age and you could do a lot of stuff from home, the choices are magnified and have got a lot more choices than myself. Like I basically had an opportunity to work for BHP with a cadetship or get into ADVA. It was really, and I grew up in Wollongong the last couple of years. I didn't have many opportunities, but kids these days with the amount of degrees, the amount of, you know, employers basically trying to attract key people who can work, it's almost too easy for them. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think I'm just saying that because I'm older than them. I think it's, I talk to clients every day. I help clients win defence work and almost all all of them in the construction sector struggle to maintain retention of key staff because there's just not enough educated, experienced staff to fulfil demand at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that clients or employers, if their staff are good and they make mistakes, as long as those employees put their hand up and say, I stuffed up, rather than hide it. I think managers in these days, because of their value is, I think um, you'll be respected more by putting your hand up and say, I stuffed up. Yeah, I think it goes to the point, though, that a workplace needs to create that environment where mistakes aren't sort of jumped on in, in a harsh way. Of course, there's perhaps consequences, but but it is that experience that people have, isn't it, in the culture that, you know, if I, if I make a mistake, I'm, you know, I'm, expected to correct it, I'm expected to take responsibility, but I'm also supported in that change mm-hmm. or supported in the learning rather than feeling like you're just going to be cut. You know, we've, we're we dealing with this cancel culture, aren't we, that, you know, the last thing people want is to be cancelled. Look, I was, you know, when I was working for engineering firms, there's, and I'm now an entrepreneur, but I think I, I always felt that pressure, especially having a family, of getting sacked and made redundant what's what's going to happen next so there's probably less of ability to put your hand up to say i stuffed up mm. but now i think as as you know a, a businessman running my own business look if i make a mistake with a client i admit it straight up yeah and i'll do everything to rectify that issue mm. if i did make a mistake so yeah i think it's the big thing about leadership i think these days and it's hard 
and I try and distill that on my kids is is be be accountable for your actions. Yeah, absolutely. So, being speaking of that, um, you know, it doesn't go well all the time. What was one of the biggest lessons from your time in the service that you know you look back on and go, "Well, that was a decisive point when I really understood this aspect of leadership," or you know? Well, I think I think I can go back to my combat combat arms officers course at Canungra and the recently passed Jim Molan spoke to us. Right. I've basically been following him ever since he gave me this brief. So he spoke about a couple of things, or actually other classmates asked these questions and said, what do you think about self-development? So do you think, you know, our, our current ADF training regime is sufficient? He said, no, you must always self-develop. You should be always reading, mm. become a master of your art. Mm. And then some of the stories he said that what he did in, in Iraq and some of his combat experience, I think I realised as a captain that I was not that dedicated to become a general. I thought I was, mm-hmm. but talking to him and his professionalism and how dedicated he was to the profession of arms, yeah, I think I really realised that that is not the way where I want to go. But I did take lessons from that in terms of professional development, becoming accountable, leadership, and basically replicated those lessons that I learned from him and others into the business world. So I I love what I'm doing now. Yeah. Teaching my clients how to win defence infrastructure works. We design shooting ranges. We love that work and we self-educate all of us. We love the environment. We mentor. I mentor my clients. I mentor my staff. And I think it's a really great foundations in terms of self-development and be accountable for your actions, I think, is and always learning. Mm. Always learn. Yeah. That sort of attitude that Jim Mullen brought, the late Jim Mullen, was that, you know, it's like I need to be 100% professional. You know, what does that actually mean? And it's not just turn up and doing your job and I mean, it's not just being rewarded for the technical competence you might bring. It's actually saying, you know what, actually I'm invested here and I'm going to go and invest myself in in being uh, broad-minded, you know, picking out those things that, that help me stretch and learn and even going and teaching and yourself or learning things that, that actually don't really necessarily fall into your immediate area of interest. Sometimes that can be a great benefit, can't it, just to go and stretch yourself and do something different completely. Well, I think the way with technology is, and is evolving at the moment at a rapid pace and how it affects our defence forces, how they do their job. Like we work with Rhinotel at the moment mm. with their ranges and their boxer CRV and we would basically assist them run their factory acceptance testing in their 100-metre tunnel. And the systems in that turret are just like sitting in a cockpit of a jet fighter. Right. So it, it's a great time to be serving and it's also been a great time to support defence industry and some some first-class, world-class innovations and technology, the defence and, you know, yeah. as yourself as an ex-naval officer mm. with the nuclear subs yeah. coming on. Yeah. I've got a nephew is, is who's serving, well, he's actually doing the naval dolphins course at the moment right. and um, he loves it. Yeah. And he can't wait to get into the new... Yeah. Uh, platforms. Yeah, it was, um, I'm reminded actually of a of a um, maybe having a new piece of equipment in a ship that I was serving in, and the youngest sailor in my division 
part of my team decided to take it on and understand how this thing worked. And he became the expert. Like the most junior, most youngest person became the expert in this particular piece of kit. He became invaluable, actually. You know, to, and he had a reputation. And in fact, he went on, served as a sailor, went on as an officer, and then had command of a ship. And so, you know, what I've taken back to is that idea that, you know, we need to actually become experts in sort of something and develop broadly. You said you had spent time also on operational service in Iraq. That was doing something completely different. What was that like? Well, it's in uh, 2004, the Australian Army Training Team, number one. We basically deployed over there for six months to basically my role and my, and my warrant officer's role was to mentor the company commander and the company warrant officer, senior NCO, through recruit training. Mm. And so this is basically straight after the war. Mm. There was obviously, it was still a heightened security threat area of operation that we were working in. We were attacked by rockets, mostly indirect weapon systems at a number of places. But you can see how lucky we are in Australia to be resourced. Like we had soldiers walking around in sandals. Not all of them had weapons. Some of them were half-dressed. Mostly didn't have their webbing and kit. Yeah. And a lot and a lot of the key officers that I worked with and became good friends in our past because of violence in their country. It wasn't really the highlight of my career. Iraq, people do ask me, would I do it again? I probably would just so that I, I understand how lucky we are in Australia. Yeah. And how important the defence of the nation is. Yeah. And look, those operational experiences are just, they, they stretch you. You do something where, yeah, you realise that you've got that resilience to be able to go through those sort of tough times and put yourself and exposed in that kind of environment. Mm-hmm. You left the army couple of years later, I think? Yeah, a couple of years. I did my master's yeah. while I was on my last posting at the Australian Defence Force Academy as a mm. divisional officer and SO3 cadets yeah. in 2016. So you decide to leave the service. What was the catalyst for that? Well, I think there's a couple of things. And one I've just mentioned on basically Jim Mullins basically was a slap in the face to say, you don't really want to be a general, Ben. Right. <laughs> you want to do something else. You want to be more core engineering yeah. rather than a, than a combat commander. Yeah. Even though I did enjoy being a combat commander yeah. as a junior officer, but it, it was fun at the time, but it was it had its shelf life. Yeah. The other thing was my, my firstborn was born while I was in Iraq. Mm-hmm. I actually, just after I got back from Iraq, you know, I told my wife when she married me, I said, look, if a deployment comes up, I'm going to put my hand up you know, to accept that, and she did. But my daughter never had that choice. Right. So I felt compelled that I had to stay home as a father. And mm. and I thought, and, you know, where I went in the construction industry has been a great journey. Yeah. Great journey. Yeah. It goes to the point, I guess, is that, you know, some people have long careers, some people have short careers. It doesn't matter how long the career is. It, bottom line is that people are making a choice to serve their country and, you know, as I say often to people, it's like it's not just a job. It's actually a vocation and you actually commit yourself in service where there are some decisions you don't actually have control over. So, yeah, honour to you for the, the service you provided uh, of this country. You make the decision to leave and pursue your sort of interests in around engineering. What was that like? What did you? What are your career choices then? Well, I started off doing project management on client side in Canberra. Mm-hmm. 
did some high-level fit-outs at Russell Offices, uh, did hotel fit-outs. So you did a fair bit of client-side project management for a few years. Then I moved to Brisbane. I did some range projects as a client-side project manager. And then I had a tier one contractor tap me on the shoulder and said, Ben, would you like to help us out win defence work? They just recently bought out a, a, a large contractor here. And then basically they got me to do pre-contracts, so winning tenders, mm-hmm. where my art started. So I thought I knew a thing, a thing or two about writing tenders because I was evaluating them as a project manager. But I failed for two years, spent a lot of money of clients' money on bidding. So most of those, some of those big bids are worth around, and this is about 10 years ago, about $250,000 a bid, which is probably more than what I was earning a year, and that's over a three-month process. And then uh, I finally won an $800 million managing contractor after my two years of failing. And then then I, so that was a great win. It's the biggest contract I'd ever helped an employer win as a bid leader. Then I went to some other contractors, one more work um, who weren't really did a lot of defence, and then I went to another tier one and helped them win, become a tier one in a in a defence in the defence sector. So I had a, quite a good niche in that. And then I spent two two and a half years in UAE mm-hmm. working on a one point five billion dollar ranges program as ops manager and then program director. Yeah, and then I came back. And spoke to my mate, mate in Army headquarters and said, oh, what do you think I should do? He said, you should start yourself a rangers business up. Right. So that's what I did. I ended up helping Queensland Police and a contractor out here build their counterterrorism training facility. Yeah, right. And that's where my rangers business started and I also started helping a number of contractors, subcontractors, wind defence work. So, mm. And that's what I'm doing now. It's keeping me busy. Yeah. So what, what do you think the military service didn't teach you that you've learnt through all of those other experiences, you know, whether it be here in Australia or over in the uh, United Arab Emirates? Didn't it, it didn't teach you much about commercial or money. <laughs> That's a common complaint. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it was very lackadaisical about commercial, understanding contracts, mm. understand the value for money, I think. That was a hard lesson I had to learn very quickly. And then you know it acutely when you're running your own business. Yeah. It's almost something you've got to become, there's almost stuff you need to become aware of, isn't there? Sort of you've got to be consciously in the zone around those kind of issues, um, particularly if you're running your own business. Well, I think think as an officer or a serviceman, then generally, you know, as for myself as a true commander, going to a strip of bridge with, with resources, you just get on a radio and put a, you know, a log request in, a supply yeah. request in, they come. Yeah. There's no budget. It's just yeah. just get me what I need and if, I, if you can't get it, I'll work around it. And that's what we did. Yeah. But it, I think that's something if, if you're an ex-engineer and you want to get into the contracts or even anything in the business world, I think uh, if I'd recommend to anyone, yeah. and I do recommend, I do it, sort of mentoring sessions with people looking at transferring into defence. I'm happy to talk to people about it, get them to learn what I, the mistakes that I did, but mm. educate yourself on contract law and yeah. business management initially before you get out so you understand it. So there's a the, the learning doesn't stop, does it? You know, it's a, it's a continual journey of recognising what you need to learn to be better in the space you're in. 
you know, you've said that, you know, the, the business right now, you're definitely an entrepreneur in terms of creating those opportunities for your business. What have you learned as an entrepreneur that, you know, you've found invaluable that maybe also relates to leading, I guess, in this modern world? Well, I think, I think the, uh, and I think you touched on it, I think you really do need to do a, a 360 degree assessment on yourself, mm-hmm. which I, I did a detailed one when I was in the Middle East because I had a fair bit of spare time in my hands. Yeah. And I actually sent emails to my ex-peers in construction and defence and just asked them some hard questions, what I'm good at, what I'm weak at, where can I improve? And then I think you've got to find the industry and try and find, and as you spoke about one of your sailors on, on the ship, he had a niche of a, of a system. Mm. If you find that niche in the business world and you've got less competition, it's always easier to write a one-page proposal than tender against 25 other competitors. And as long as you keep providing value, you'll keep getting work. Yeah. And maintain your reputation with integrity and, and doing the extra yard yeah. to make sure that you, you and your brand and your name is respected in industry. Yeah. Which I hope that, I hope that it is for me. Yeah. Yeah, it almost, um, there's a bit in that also for leaders, isn't there, about having a good reputation and brand as a leader. Certainly found there's some, that that's an important topic in this day and age right now for leaders is what is my brand? What am I turn up? And, and sort of, you know, in Australia, we can be a little bit harsh on that because it feels like we're tall poppy syndrome. We're going to shoot people down. But, but understanding what you stand for, either in business or as a leader, really important, I think. Well, I think... If you hit a niche that clients need that support or service or construction ability, then and that's what I'm selling to my clients. I know I've got a niche. I've got two niches. It's range design and helping companies win defence. So I basically put my hat on when I work with my clients when defence diversification is I put my hat on, sit in their shoes and go, right, if I'm a civil contractor building roads, where's the best niche for me? based on my team, my location, my assets, resources, and my relationships. Yeah. That's how I help them identify their niche to help them succeed in this sector. And I try and find low-hanging fruit as well. I try to find opportunities where they're not competing against 20 other competitors. Yeah. Your best advice right now for, for those people that are looking to take on or more responsibility, lean into leadership every day. What would you? What advice would you give those folks? I would say, try and mentor people and share your failures with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people will, people love hear, hearing about your failures, mm. especially younger people or people who want to get to where you know somewhere with you or on parallel with you. They love hearing about your failures. They less like hearing about your successes, but they want to hear about your failures. But what have you done? What shouldn't they do wrong? And I think be accountable for your failures as well, I think, and continually self-educate. Mm. I spent a long time self-educating myself before I took the plunge into running my own business. I never thought I would run my own business. But I think as an ex-military guy, one of my good friend's wife said, as a wife, our husbands of, a, of an ex-defence person, our husbands love taking risks. It's just we've got to control or 
tame their risk as the partner. Yeah. And I thought that was an extremely great quote coming from my um, friend's wife. Yeah. Because I see a lot of my peers doing, you know, I've got friends that are working in in uh, the Baltic states, mm-hmm. my big oil and gas jobs. I've got a mate yeah. who's been working in Saudi Arabia on security jobs. They're all officers. And some are, some are just doing some basic jobs, but I can see everyone likes to take a risk. Sometimes they take big risks. Sometimes they take smaller risks. Like a lot of people talk to me every day and say that I can't believe you run your own business, Ben. That's such a huge risk. Yeah. But I don't see it as a huge risk because I think I've got the risk under control. Yeah. When it comes down to it, risk is actually just, it's actually being aware of it. It's actually doing the work to understand what risk you've actually got or what issues you've got. Mm-hmm. I've certainly, in the work I've been doing recently, it's a clearly identified that leaders and managers having an understanding of risk in their workplace or what risk they're being expected to be leading and managing as part of their portfolio is a critical skill at the end of the day. Yeah, I think it yeah, definitely you really understand it when you're, when you're running your own business. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And you're employing people. Yeah. And you're managing cash flow on projects that, um, especially if they're milestone payments. Yeah. And for me, look at the, you know the construction industry. Everyone thinks the construction industry is thriving, but there's a lot of builders um, and consultants really struggling. Yeah, you know, there's been an, even just in the last couple of weeks, another couple of builders have gone bust. Yeah, yeah, I actually think their builders take much bigger risks than consultants. Yeah, and anyone in manufacturing too. Yeah, anyone building something, I think those people. That, yeah, well, the environment's dynamic, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> Especially when uh, the government make long delays in decisions, yeah. that hurts industry. Yeah, you mentioned this before, but what have you found the best resources to help you along the way? What have you tapped into? One of the best courses that I've done, and it's probably aged now. It's probably not that relevant, but I did a course called Consulting dot com oh, yeah. by Sam Ovens. Yeah, it was basically the foundations on how to sell online courses. Right. But some of the lessons learned there about leadership, business, finance, cash flow, marketing, it's a long course and it's self-paced. You don't get a certificate out of it. No. And I've done a couple of other courses where you don't get a certificate out of it and there's been the best value courses and knowledge that I've ever been given. It's, a, it's basically helped me get where I am today. Hmm. But I still think and I recommend to friends, anyone who's getting out of defence, buy that course may not be fully, you may not want to sell an online course, yeah. but those basic foundation, he basically grabs a multitude of business books and leaders, industry leaders, and brings the lessons learned into that course. Yeah, I think he's actually sold the business now, but yeah. that course is, it was life-changing actually for me, yeah. changing my mindset. It helped me change my mindset, which has been the biggest thing with me becoming an entrepreneur is changing mindset. Yeah. With that in mind and given where you're at today as an entrepreneur with a business that's sort of got a trajectory of uh, in the positive direction, what would you say are your top three keys to success right now that you're focused on making sure you don't drop the ball on this year, for example? Persistence, mm-hmm. mindset, having the proper mindset by setting goals, being clear, articulate where your business wants to go and learning and not being afraid of failure. Mm-hmm. If you're afraid of failure, you won't be persistent and you don't have the right mindset. So it's a bit of a magic triangle. Yeah. 
So if you have those three things, I think it's the goals to success. Yeah. Yeah, and it's about keeping all three of those in focus at the one time, isn't it, and uh, recognising that, as you've said, a relationship between those. Mm. Well, Ben, it's been great to have you on the podcast. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you think we should? You can tell the government to hurry up and bring out that defence strategic <laughs> review. That'd be good. <laughs> well, there is a lot of people hanging out on that one, isn't there? Uh, well, yeah, I think, um, I, think, I think it's going to be a good reset. I think, you know, I'm talking, I'm talking to a lot of a lot of clients in the construction industry that want to get a piece of the defence industry. Yeah. And it's, well, it's really good good for my business. The range side of my business slowed down because everything's slowing down for the DSR. Mm. Um, but defence industry are prepping and it's defence apps. I went to a couple of conferences with defence in the last few weeks and the Avalon Air Show. Yeah. Everyone is sort of hurting, but everyone's, I think, I think they feel the government is on the right track. Yes. But... Industry is always impatient. Yes. We always want the answer yesterday. Yeah. Let's just hope that the Defence Strategic Review comes out not in piecemeal but hard, fast. Let's, this is our direction. Give yeah. us a goal so that industry can support defence yeah. and its capability and infrastructure so we can support it because the, yeah. if they hold it back, it's just a detriment. Yeah. At the end of the day, that is a you know a key leadership quality, isn't it? Be direct and be demonstrative about the decision and direction you're going in. So, yeah, I guess it's a watch this space, so to speak. Well, I think it's going to be good news. Yeah, I'm optimistic. Okay, like most entrepreneurs, but um, you yeah. know, sometimes you have to tilt and adjust hmm. to adjust for a new environment. Just with like technology, we have to tilt, hmm. and I have a t- I've tilted my business. Yeah, um, into different avenues, but um, yeah. so tilt is the new pivot. Is that what you're saying? Or? Pivot. That's what I meant. Pivot. <laughs> pivot. Yeah, I like pivot. tilt. I, you know, I reckon pivot was overused. To be honest, <laughs> and being great to chat. Great. We're going to finish up with some rapid fire questions. So, can I get you to fill in the blank on these ones? Yeah. The first question is: Leadership is blank. Uh, leadership is communication through words, actions, and experience. Awesome. What's your go-to book on leadership? What It Takes by Mark Burris. All right. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Probably the best one. I've read plenty of American business books, Mm -hmm. but he makes it so local and unique and it basically brings in a great great book. You should read it. I will. Next question. I wish I'd known blank earlier in my career. Entrepreneurship. I was never educated on it and niches. Mm. Excellent. You get a call from a team member, crisis just erupted in your company. What are your first words to that person? I think it's, I think it's just be cool, calm, collected. Mm-hmm. Ask what happened, get them to slow down. Yeah. What are the immediate consequences of this action? Yeah. What have they done so far to mitigate yeah. the effects of that action? Yeah. Absorbed, come out with the initial mitigator with them. If you've got time, find more. Mm-hmm. Identify options. Yeah. Ask an expert, which I do a lot yeah. when I come into problems, and then get a hold of a situation and, and make a decision back yourself. If it's the wrong one, yeah. learn from it. Absolutely. Try and turn it into an advantage. Yeah. See, you are an engineer. You gave me a list of things to do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, the last question. Go-to quote on leadership that has had the most influence on your leadership so far. I think it's a, a quote from Patton. Okay. A good plan violently executed now is better than a perfect plan next week. Yeah, awesome. 
It's not that quiet. Well, Ben, I wish you all the best with the Defence Strategic Review when it comes out and for you and your clients. Thanks so much for taking the time to be on the podcast today and, and all the best for the future. Thanks, Martin. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Frontline to Boardroom. So grateful that you could be with us. For more on how you can step up to leadership every day, be sure to visit us at martinbrooker.com where you can subscribe to the show to be notified every time an episode drops. And if you found value in this episode, we'd love it if you'd share it with a friend. Looking forward to being here with you next week. And remember, sometimes you need to drive it like you stole it.